Our reading is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. (coughs) Excuse me. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. on the screen are the words of an affirmation of faith, which I invite you to say together. We believe in God, whose love is the source of all life and the desire of our lives, whose love was given a human face in Jesus of Nazareth, whose love was crucified by the evil that waits to enslave us all, and whose love, defeating even death, is our glorious promise of freedom. Therefore, though we are sometimes fearful and full of doubt, in God we trust. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we commit ourselves in the service of others to seek justice and to live in peace, to care for the earth and to share the commonwealth of God's goodness, to live in the freedom of forgiveness and in the power of the spirit of love, and in the company of the faithful, so to be the church. Who is my neighbour? Only a lawyer would ask that kind of question. It's obvious to everybody else. If the second greatest commandment is, I should love my neighbour as myself, then the lawyer wants to know who am I supposed to love that way? So yes, okay, I I know and accept that the person who lives next door is my neighbour, so I should put myself out for them, should they need it. But what about the person next door but one? Are they my neighbour? 
Or what about the person across the road or around the corner? How far away from home do I have to get before people stop being my neighbours? And what about people I don't get on with? Are they my neighbours as well? It looks as though some people in Jesus' day were saying, you should love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But he turned that teaching on its head and said, love your enemies too. Jesus seems to say that we should love people without distinguishing between them, without drawing lines to separate neighbour from non-neighbour. But if that's the case, why talk about loving your neighbour at all? Why not just say, love anyone you meet? if you're supposed to love anyone that you meet. Well, perhaps Jesus was trying to make the point that the act of loving the people that you meet makes them your neighbour. Everyone you encounter becomes someone you are close to. That's a challenge. There's enough of the pedant in me to want to find out what the dictionary definition of neighbour is. And looking up the online Oxford Dictionary... I was surprised to discover two meanings listed. The first is a person or place in relation to others next or near to it, which sounds like a lawyer's definition to me. But the second is any person in need of one's help or kindness after biblical use. I never knew that 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 understanding of neighbour had found its way into the English dictionary. By telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus has actually redefined how the term neighbour is used and understood in the English language. Thanks to Jesus, my neighbour is not just the person next to me. My neighbour is anyone who needs my help. Jesus has actually redefined our language and in such a challenging and disconcerting way as well. If you read the parable of the Good Samaritan and find it a little bit unsettling, there's a good reason why we feel that way, because that is precisely the reaction that Jesus wanted to provoke in the mind of the lawyer talking to him. The expert in the law would have been a member of the religious establishment, and it's no coincidence that the first two people to see the wounded man lying by the side of the road were also pillars of the religious establishment. People whom you would have expected to have secured their reservations and booked their place in eternal life on account of their religious devotion. Yet, the priest and the Levite both see the man and cross over the road to avoid him. They want to keep their distance from him. And if they avoid getting too close to him, if they can put enough space between them and him, if they can pass by on the other side and pretend they haven't seen, then perhaps he'll be far enough away for them to think, he's not really my neighbour. I've not got that close to him. His problems are not my concern. So they see with their eyes, but they close their hearts and they walk on by. Now, the guy talking to Jesus, he's not a priest, he's not a Levite, but he is an expert in the law, an equally upright and respected member of the religious community. As a lawyer, he would have known his Bible, 
And he would have known that in Leviticus 19, after the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, there is another command which says, the foreigner who resides with you must be to you like a native citizen among you. So you must love him as yourself because you are foreigners in the land of Egypt. See, he knows that, yes, my neighbor is the person next door. As an expert in the law, he would have known, yes, my neighbor is the foreigner who lives amongst us. And, and so, in hearing Jesus tell the story, where first the priest comes by and ignores the injured man, and the Levite comes by and ignores the injured man, he's going to be thinking, yeah, I can see that actually someone in need is also someone who comes into the category of neighbor. And he'd figured out that the next person in Jesus' parable to come down the road would be a man just like him, an expert in the law, who would, who would extend the definition of neighbor to include the injured man. Someone who was concerned to practice the commandment and love his neighbor as himself. So all that would have made perfectly good sense to him. And he could congratulate himself on having nailed down the definition of neighbor a little bit more effectively. Someone who needs my help. Except that he's in for an unpleasant surprise. Because the next person to come down the road isn't someone just like him. The next person to come down the road is, of all people, a Samaritan. Now, there was a highly ambivalent love-hate relationship between Jews and Samaritans. Actually, it was more of a hate relationship than a love relationship. Some said the problems went all the way back to the time when the Jews came back from exile in Babylon and started to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And the people who'd been living in the land in their absence came and said, do you want some help? Can we build the temple with you? And the Jews coming back said, no. We're going to do it. We don't know you. We don't trust you. Uh, We don't believe you've been worshipping God the right way. We are the ones who've kept the faith. We are the ones who are going to build the temple. You've intermarried with all these followers who came in and and you've not worshipped God in the right place all these years. If you're concerned about the temple, how come you haven't been worshipping God in Jerusalem? No, we don't want your help. So the stage was set for centuries of an uneasy relationship between the Jews who came to rebuild Jerusalem as their capital city and restore the temple within it, and the Samaritans who actually didn't want anything to do with Jerusalem after that, whose loyalties lay with Samaria, the old capital of what had once been the apostate realm of the northern kingdom, and set up their own temple to rival the temple in Jerusalem. So they were neighbours, but they weren't good neighbours. They didn't trust each other at all. Samaritans were a bit like fair-weather neighbours. When things were going well for the Jews, yes, yes, we're we're friends, we're neighbours, we're getting on fine. But if things were going badly for the Jews, the Samaritans didn't want anything to do with them. There had been low points in their relationship. It was not unusual for Jews coming to worship God in Jerusalem if they passed through Samaria to be set upon and beaten up. And some had even been killed because they were making pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. On one infamous occasion, Samaritans had once broken into the Jerusalem temple and defiled it by scattering human remains there one night. So there really was little love lost between the Jews and their neighbours, the Samaritans. And the lawyer asking, who is my neighbour? The very last thing he would have wanted to hear was actually that the Samaritans were neighbours, and you needed to love them as you loved yourself. But actually, it wasn't even that. 
because it was the Samaritan, the rank, mistrusted, hated outsider who did for the man lying by the side of the road what the priest and Levite failed to do. It wasn't just that the lawyer needed to regard the Samaritan as the neighbour, it was the Samaritan putting the religious establishment to shame in terms of doing for the injured man what none of them had been prepared to do. When the Samaritan saw the wounded man, he had compassion on him. Instead of passing by on the other side, he went over and he stopped. He took the time to bathe the man's wounds with wine to cleanse them, oil to soothe the pain, bandaged him up, put him on his own donkey and walked beside him, however far it was down the road to the inn where he paid for the man's bed and board. And not only did he pay the innkeeper the equivalent of two days' wages to take care of the injured man, he also gave a blank cheque. Anything you spend beyond this, he said, I'll reimburse you next time you come. Next time I come. This is a man who held nothing back, who spared no cost when it came to helping a perfect stranger. And he was a Samaritan. Would the lawyer have done all that if he'd seen a Samaritan lying there? Probably not. Even though he knew that you were supposed to love your neighbour and the foreigner among you as you loved yourself, he would have thought long and hard before he did anything to help a hated Samaritan. Is this man my neighbour? How should I treat him? What should I do for him? How would he treat me? And if he'd felt sufficiently convicted to do something for an injured Samaritan, would he have been as generous, so profligate with his time and money, he was a lawyer after all, or would he have done just the bare minimum to ensure that the injured man didn't die? We don't know. But what we do know about the lawyer is that he's the kind of man who asks the question, who is my neighbour? If I'm going to have eternal life and I've got to love my neighbour, Who is my neighbour then? And when it came to helping and loving others, he was the kind of man to draw distinctions, to pick and choose, to say, well, that person I can see as a neighbour, but that person I'm not quite so sure, and that person definitely not. But the Samaritan coming down the road, he wasn't that kind of man. He saw the injured man, and his automatic instinct was to rescue, save, and help the man in need. Sheer human compassion rather than a concern to do what the law required. His motivation was very different. And in that way he put the lawyer to shame. He didn't waste time thinking, is this man my neighbour or not? Should I help him or not? How much of my time and money should I expend on this man who is a perfect stranger to me and actually if he were fit and well, might be my enemy. He just got on and did it. And his spontaneous love for a perfect stranger put to shame those who claimed to love God. All this started because the lawyer wanted to know what he had to do to get eternal life. In his answer, Jesus pointed to the need not just to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, but to love our neighbour, whoever our neighbour might be, right here, right now. Before half term, I was reading a book by Jürgen Moltmann entitled The Spirit of Life. 
He talks about regretting something that Pope John Paul II said when he visited war-torn Nicaragua in 1983. He said then that the priests of his church must not participate in the people's struggle for liberation or in the building of a free Nicaragua since their function was to prepare the people for eternal life. What's going on here and now, that's of no concern. We are in the business solely of getting people ready for heaven. Maltman said this alternative puts asunder what is joined in God's spirit. Just because I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, I must already resist the forces of death and annihilation here and now. I must love life here on earth so much that I try with everything I have to free it from exploitation, oppression and alienation. And the opposite is equally true. Because I love life and stand up for its justice and fight for its freedom wherever it is threatened, I hope that one day death will be swallowed up in the victory of life and that then there will be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Jesus does not call his followers to retreat into our own private religious ghetto and wait for eternal life. He calls us to make the hazardous journey down from Jerusalem to Jericho, away from the security of the sanctuary into the world, and there to be people who bring life, who give life to others. And our motivation? Our motivation is simply love without limits. Love without limits in terms of how much we are prepared to give, and love without limits in terms of those with whom we are prepared to share that love. And it's got nothing to do with religion, but everything to do about following Jesus. Love and do as you like, as Augustine put it. And when we stop, as we are naturally inclined to do, and ask ourselves whether this is wise or practicable, or we try and think through carefully what we ought or we ought not to do, we suddenly find ourselves thinking the same way as the lawyer. Who is my neighbour? Overthinking everything. Jesus just wants us to be like the Samaritan and get on with it. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we're not very good at loving our neighbours as ourselves. Forgive us. Forgive us for those times when we keep people at arm's length. Forgive us for those times where we walk by on the other side. Forgive us for those times when we spend so much time thinking that we don't get around to doing. Lord, we admit that we find your commands challenging. You set the bar impossibly high. Lord, place your love, your grace, 
deep within our hearts. And help us to move towards being more the people you'd have us be. People motivated by the self-forgetfulness of love. This week, Lord, help us to see someone and treat them as our neighbour and love them as ourselves. This week, help us to follow you in practice. For we ask it in your name. Amen.